Today's reading comes from Galatians 5, 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Well, beloved, please have a seat this morning. Um, and, and pray me, with me, if you would, just that God would bless his word this morning to us. God and Father, you have spoken to us mightily by your word, and I ask that the uh, power of it would fall on us this morning, Lord, that uh, uh, not my words, but your words would be effectual and affections stirring this morning. Lord, we trust in it, and we trust in it mightily because of the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, my oldest son is kind of getting to the age where he's very aware that he's like catching up with me, like uh, catching up with me just in size. In fact, uh, his uh, foot is still uh, like two sizes smaller than mine, but he's already declared victory. He's already said like, uh, my feet are as big as yours, and he'll put on my boots, and it looks like he's wearing man's boots, but like he's, he's pretty confident we're the same size. So uh, he's catching up, and it's not just in these things. I think that he sees me doing a lot of things, and he's just copying them, even when they don't necessarily fit uh, his size. So he'll see me take too big a bite, if I can be honest, and uh, he'll just, you know, this morning with his cereal, just big scoop right in the mouth, it's too much. And that's a little bit actually how I feel this morning is that we have read a passage of scripture that we're all probably pretty familiar with and it's just, it's too big. It's uh, too much really to go through uh, all of it. So what we're going to do is really savor one piece, one aspect of this this morning. I wish that we could spend actually the next uh, month or so kind of climbing through this text, but we just don't have the time. So we're going to take a really big bite this morning. But that's not the only thing that I'm starting to see kind of in my son. is isn't just this uh, desire to be big, this desire to uh, be as big as me and say it and claim that. Uh, it's also that I see uh, an exciting and familiar wrestle starting in his heart. I can see it. And it's not a moral wrestle. I think that every person on earth at some level gets to an age where they start recognizing some uh, good and evil and wanting to do maybe slightly more good. But that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about like a desire to fit in and be civilized. Like that's one of our roles as parents is to civilize our children. They come into this world as heathens. We've got to rear them up to be civilized things so that they're not just breaking things as adults all the time. But what he has started to do, not 
necessarily looking to be people-pleasing or more moral. I've started to see him uh, somewhere between like sinful desires, starting with a uh, spirit-filledness to address those things and have spirit-filled desires. I, I really believe that I'm seeing this. And I think that for a lot of the parents in this room, you're starting to see some of those things too. We're getting to just rejoice in the fact that our kids are not necessarily trying to be people-pleasers or more moral, but they're actually trying to uh, look at those like sinful desires and be more spirit-filled. They're actually catching that from their parents. Every Christian for all of time, I think, is keenly aware of this kind of wrestle. Uh, Paul, very famously in Romans chapter 7, talks about this kind of wrestle. He says, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I do all the time. And he specifically says something that I feel like resonates with all of our hearts, that I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. That's kind of the wrestle. Do you have that wrestle inside of you, this desire to do the right thing, to do the good thing, but there are these sinful desires that keep on pulling at you? There's a tension. This is a thing that from a 12-year-old, my son, uh, to the oldest of us are going to be aware of this tension. So how are we to think about this wrestle? Many of us are actually kind of weary from the fight, if we can be honest. We've gone through this Christian life now, maybe even for decades, and what we found is, is that that wrestle is wearing on us a bit. And it's not necessarily the wrestle, it's like not seeing quite as much fruit as we had hoped for in our teenage or early 20s years. Can we be just maybe honest about that this morning? There's a weariness from this fight. Many of us are uh, looking at this and saying, hey, is there any good, is there any beauty that's coming out of this wrestle this, this uh, walk with Jesus, am I really getting somewhere? Is something happening? Because the fruit happens incrementally by small degrees of glory over the long course of time, and so we just wonder, has there been any growth? What I want to do this morning is take that big bite, that familiar passage, that too much kind of scripture, and actually hone in and try to answer this simple question. And what I want for us to do is actually be encouraged, for us to understand the passage simply and anew with a renewed focus, and for us to be encouraged walking out. Because this is what I think that this passage tells us. I think that this passage tells us that those who belong to Jesus march in step with the Spirit. Those who belong to Jesus march in step with the Spirit. In fact, if you want to know where the essence of that kind of like primary point this morning is coming from, you can see those very words in between verses 24 and 25. Those who belong to Jesus are in step. They march in step with the Spirit. But there's a little bit of work that we've got to do before we get to that primary point. We have to understand at some level three things. The first is the built-in battle what we were just talking about, that tension. We've got to understand the built-in battle. The second thing that we've got to understand is the triumphant spirit of God. We've got to understand that there is triumph in the spirit. And the third thing that we've got to talk about is the spoils of war. So we've got like a war theme here. There's a a built-in battle, there's a triumphant spirit, and then there are spoils of war that we get. So that's where we're headed this morning. Now, for those of you who have been with us over the long course of time, we took a break for Advent and for a two-part series uh, just talking about what we're looking for out of joyful worship. But before that, we've been in the book of Galatians. We've come all the way to Galatians chapter 5, and there are a few things that we've kind of learned along the way in our desire for a revival of joyful worship. We came to the book of Galatians noting that the primary thing that we wanted to really extract from Galatians is that we are freed by faith. 
This is the theme of this entire book that we are looking at and examining is that we are freed by faith. And as we've marched through the book of Galatians, we've seen that the first two chapters is essentially Paul, an apostle, claiming and telling the Galatians, who he had left only a short time before, that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ, that he actually has the authority to come and rebuke them in the midst of their unbelief and correct them. He's got power. That's the first thing that he tries to tell the Galatians and us. So we need to remember this morning as we just kind of get the context for all of these passages that Paul has the authority to tell you something this morning the same way that he had the authority in the power of the Spirit in the name of Jesus to tell the Galatians something with authority. So I want to pause and just let you sit with that for a second. Paul might have something to tell you this morning and it has the authority of God. The second thing that we see in uh, chapters 3 through 4, very uh, vaguely, uh, it it kind of like it's mixed in and throughout, but in chapters 3 and 4, we get this idea that we are freed from the law because there were all of these Judaizers that had come in, and I think maybe ad nauseum for some of us as we step through the book of Galatians, told us over and over again that works of the law cannot save you. That the original message that Paul brought with the authority of God to the Galatians is is that you cannot be saved by works of the law. You have to trust in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and his future coming in order to be free, truly and completely free. So that was the essence of chapters 3 and 4 is that you are freed from the law. You don't have to live as a legalist. But what we find at the very end of chapter 4 and the very beginning of chapter 5 is just kind of this crescendo, this climax where we understand that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I've mentioned this and kind of woven it into almost all of the sermons that it is not, you're not set free so that you can just simply go back to bondage. You're not set free from your sin just so that you can continue on in your regular old ways. You were freed by Jesus Christ for one thing, and that was freedom. We get to live in freedom. That's the good news of the very beginning of chapter five. That's the climax. But what does the free and faithful life look like? What does the free and faithful life look like? So we might be freed by faith for freedom. But now what does that life look like? That's what the rest of this chapter, that's the rest of this month as we kind of close out the book of Galatians. That's what we're going to be asking is, what does the free and faithful life look like? In the process of answering this, Paul helps us define the wrestle that we were just talking about as a built-in battle. Now, you may be like, hey, I hear a lot of war language. Where is this that you're seeing this built-in battle expressed? Well, this is the first point. We've got to understand the first built-in battle. Go with me to verse 17. It says this, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit are opposed to each other. So you've got a couple of verses there that essentially pick up on these themes of works of the flesh and law and pick up on these themes of the work of the Spirit and just says it outright. These things are opposed to one another. And it doesn't just say it in some abstract way. It's talking about you. It's talking about your heart, your soul, that there is something inside of each and every one of us that has desires and passions of the flesh. And now... As a believer in Jesus Christ and dwelled by the Spirit, you have spiritual desires, spirit, Holy Spirit-given desires, and they oppose one another. They oppose one another. There's a a fight going on. There's a wrestle going on. Paul, it it, uh, bears mentioning, is speaking to those who walk by the Spirit. 
They're walking out in the Spirit. Christians, the book of Galatians is written to you. It's not written like Hebrews to uh, people that were Jewish and needed to know about Jesus. It wasn't written to those people. It's written to Christians. So the first thing that we need to know is that Paul is speaking to those who walk by the Spirit. That's what these verses say. Christians, there is a war within you, and it has to do with your desires. But before we go any further, we really have to understand that word flesh. Because there, there might be a tendency for us to think that when it says flesh, it's actually talking about our person. In fact, in the early church, there's people that were known as Gnostics that believed that you had to have some sort of special knowledge. And part of their belief structure was that everything physical was bad and everything spiritual was good, but that's not at all what this is talking about. It's not talking about your body. It's not talking as though your body, uh, the spirit somehow just trying to get into your body. The word flesh is something that we see really from Genesis 3 forward to be referring most often to a spiritual desire of sin. There, there is like this idea in scripture that when it talks about flesh, it's referring to your sin nature. nature. Galatians has already told us that we have Jesus, that we own Jesus, and that he has us and that we are his. Now, he's saying in verse 24 that we belong to Jesus. Look at those sweet words there. For those who belong to Jesus, now we know and understand that we have the Spirit. So we don't just have Jesus. By having Jesus, we actually have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, not, not in some weird kind of out there way, in an in here way, in a real way. We have the Spirit. Galatians is telling us that Christians have the indwelling of the Spirit of God, and the Spirit is giving us new desires that oppose those old fleshly desires. What are the fleshly desires? That's what we need to ask this text. What are the fleshly desires that these new Spirit-given desires oppose? Verse 17 says that they're evident. The word evident literally just means that they are very clear to see, and they're pointed out in behaviors. So what are these fleshly desires that these new spirit-given desires oppose? They're evident, and he lists them out. He says that they are sexual immorality, their impurity and sensuality, even orgies. These are the things that actually um, mutilate the capacity for spiritual love to exist. So we, we get this idea that all of that sensuality and sexual impurity is listed there to combat the fact that the Spirit really actually wants to create a capacity in our hearts to love. And what we've got to understand in this text, and, and let's take a sidebar here just to note that so often in lists of fleshly desires and sins, sexuality makes the list almost every time. It, it, in fact, often it's uh, listed at the top and it's kind of woven throughout. And I believe that the reason why that is is because God created us as sexual creatures. He created us for glory in that capacity in one of the most wicked ways that our enemy twists and contorts and distorts the desires of our heart, our capacity for love, is actually to make that sinful. And, and so at City Church, we actually want to be the kind of church that's willing to just say so. We want to look at just the frequency of the fact that God is always telling us that there is something very sensitive to just our sexual life that has something to do with a capacity for sin to really twist and manipulate our souls. 
We want to be the kind of church that just says that plainly. We say what God says. We don't try to shy away from it because there's people in the room that may disagree with us or children even in the room. We don't want to shy away from that. We just want to say what God says. So that, that's a list, of uh, a partial list at least, of some of the fleshly desires that these new spirit-given desires oppose. Uh, the next would be idolatry and sorcery. These are the things that hollow out our capacity for things like goodness and faithfulness. If you're constantly bowing down to some idol in your life, it's actually shrinking and reserving and uh, completely subtracting from your capacity just to seek out those things that are good and beautiful, to seek out a life of faithfulness to God. He continues on by saying that it's not just idolatry and sorcery, it's also things like jealousy and strife and envy and rivalry and dissensions and divisions. These are things that oppose a spirit of peace. We, we've, I've experienced this in my life, I, you know, whether it's family or friends, whether it's in the church or outside of the church, whether it's a business relationship, even just this week, having some sort of division, disagreement, Rivalry, those kinds of things actually have the capacity to steal away from a spirit of peace. They oppose a spirit of peace. And finally, we get this list of things like a fit of anger or drunkenness, things that demonstrate our insobriety, our lack of stability, our lack of ability to control one's self. And then just in case that doesn't like catch you, because there might, might be some people in the room that's like, I don't struggle with very many of those things. It also just says like as a catch-all phrase, like an above reproach kind of ways, and things like these. Just, just in case you were like trying to get out of it, it just says, and things like these. Why? Because the law speaks to so many areas of desire and capacity for sin in the human soul that it couldn't possibly be contained. And honestly, a list that, though pretty concise, when you just read it out loud, it kind of gets a little long. And here at the end, it just goes, and things just like this. You know what we're talking about, the things that oppose the law. So it's interesting that the man that spent literally two chapters of this entire book to the Galatians saying you can't be saved by works of the law is now returning to elements of the law and saying don't transgress against the law. This is not a comprehensive list. Against the law thing, uh, sorry, against such things the law speaks. So we understand something in some way of this internal built-in battle But next, what we really want to know about is what about the triumph? What about the victory? That's where we've got to understand the triumphant spirit. Look at verse 24. It says, those belonging to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what we need to know is is that even in the midst of that uh, list that may bear some light onto you, just exactly like Smeagol, The light may have like shined on that and you just go, oh no, those are the desires of my heart. We need to know with more force that there is a triumph in the spirit. There is a light in the gospel. If you are one of those that belong to Christ Jesus, the one spoken of in verse 24, if you are one of those that the Father gave to Jesus Christ on the cross, then your sinful desires are crucified with him. That's the good news of the gospel. 
If you have sinful desires, they can be placed on Jesus, crucified forever, and then you can belong to him and continue on in the crucifixion of those sins, the mortification of those sins, putting to death sin in your life. That's the good news of the gospel. But we might be tempted this morning to ask, well, why is it that I still struggle with sin at all? Why do I still have these desires? If I belong to Jesus, why is it that I still have this built-in battle? Well, we need to know and understand something of the Trinity, because it is Jesus that justifies us on the cross, but then it is the Spirit that sanctifies in the heart. Three times in this passage, I want you to look with me and see the good news of this. Three times in this passage, first in verse 16, we are told to walk by the Spirit. In verse 18, we are said that we are led by the Spirit. And finally, in verse 25, it says that we live by the Spirit. There is triumph in the Spirit. How do we understand that? Well, if we walk by the Spirit, it says, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You'll win the battle with the flesh. Right now, in this immediate moment, in the moment of conversion, the answer is no. You're justified because of Jesus. But over the course of time, and when you launch into an eternity with Jesus forever, the Spirit will win that battle. You will be sanctified. You will be perfected. You will be righteous as Jesus Christ is righteous if you walk by the Spirit. Second, it says if you are led by the Spirit. It's a very specific word, led, if you are led. I want you to think in military terms. If you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. We we spent so much time in the book of Galatians talking about how the law imprisons, how it uh, sits there and stands and accuses you. It, It shows and shines a light on sin. And what we need to know in the midst of all of this is that if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Is there anybody that reads the Old Testament and like shudders in fear? Maybe you look at it and you just go, I'm confused. I don't even know how I could be saved. I am so unrighteous. And here we have a good word about what the Spirit is doing. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Do you need to worry about the law? Do you need to worry about its imprisonment, its accusations against you if you are led by the Spirit? The answer is no. You have no worries, no fear because you are led by the Spirit. Third, if we live by the Spirit, then we keep in step with the Spirit. If you live by the Spirit, if daily you are trying to live in and through the work of the Spirit, if you are living in the Spirit, here's what it says, you are in step with the Spirit. Now, this is where I think we get another, like, just a small hint of what war is going on here. If you're in step with something, you get this idea that you are in marching order with the Spirit. If you live in the Spirit, you will be in step with the Spirit. I don't think that was me. All right, so this is what we need to know and understand. If we live by the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit. We are marching with the Spirit. Here's the gospel picture that I want you to come away with this morning the gospel picture that I want you to see in front of your eyes. Jesus, at the cost of his very own life, pulled us out of an enemy trench in this war that we were in and dresses us in his uniform and then places us under the careful command of the Spirit to march in step with him to victory. That's the picture of the gospel that I want for us to come away with this morning. That's what I want for us to know about what the Spirit is doing in our lives. So the triumphant Spirit leads us to victory. 
But what does that victory look like in our lives? And this is the third point, the very, 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 very good news, as if that wasn't good news enough. You get spoils of war. You get the spoils of the war that Jesus Christ has already won, that he has finished, that the Spirit is actually going up and uh, coming in behind the work of Jesus Christ and claiming things for the kingdom. We actually have a section of law in USC, uh, section 2204, defines spoils of war by enemy property that is lawfully captured, seized, confiscated, or found that then becomes United States property. We, we actually have a section in code, and what we see in the spiritual battle is that the spirit captures and seizes and confiscates f- uh, fleshly desires and then transforms them into spiritual treasures. That's what he's doing in you. The spirit is doing this. Love and joy do not arise from promiscuity or pornography, but the work of the Spirit is in you, and that produces love and joy. Peace and patience and kindness do not come from covetousness and envy on social media, but it comes by way of the Spirit. Goodness and faithfulness do do not issue from bowing down to markets and materialism, but by marching with the Spirit of God. Gentleness and self-control are not the byproduct of insobriety or rage, but they are the fingerprints of the Spirit in your life. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. I mean, those things, if you exhibit love and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness and self-control, if you're experiencing, exuding that, even little tiny degrees of glory over the course of a long period of your life, what you can know is, is that the Spirit is in you and that the Spirit is at work in you. Is He working the way that you would want Him to? Probably not. At the pace that you would want Him to? Maybe not. Is he wiser than you are? Yes, he is. Is he more powerful than you are? Yes, he is. Can he take even the distorted, crooked timber of the house that used to uh, be your desires and straighten them and build them into a much grander house of spiritual love, of spiritual gentleness, of peace, of self-control? The answer is yes. The Holy Spirit can do that. So now, how should we think of this? Not in the by and by, but in the here and now. How how should we think about this? We've talked about how the Galatians received it, or at least one of the ways that they received it. How should you think about this today? How should we put it together and to work over the next week? First, for many of us, the encouragement of the message of Galatians chapter 5, if we can be honest, fades to discouragement as soon as we hit the ground on Monday morning. That's the truth. A lot of times we can hear that all of these things are the great and grand plans that the Holy Spirit has for us, and then we get in the car and we yell at our kids and we feel like this desire for sin, maybe, maybe even just a fit of rage, right? We feel that and we go, the Spirit's just not at work in me. We, we, uh, we just go, man, the Spirit is going to correct my capacity for love. I'm not going to look at things on the computer this week. And then when we fall into the vomit, the filthy rags of our sin, not once more, but for the thousandth time, we go, maybe the Spirit is just not at work in me. Aren't we tempted to think that? When we encounter the perpetual onslaught of attack 
from the desires of our flesh, when it seems like few, if any, of these battles result in anything more than the giving away to sin, when perfectionists and rule followers look at these, at these the fruit of the Spirit, and think, here's my to-do list. I'm going to do love. And then we don't do that. I'm going to do gentleness. And then that just doesn't come out of us. When we go, I, I'm, going, I'm going to do faithfulness. I'm going to be faithfully faithful that ever did faithful. I'm going to do that. I'm going to accomplish it. I'm going to do it in my own work. And then you're not, there's a letdown. And, and here's where I've got to be really careful because there's two things in this passage for you. The first is a warning. And if we skipped over it, the truth is I would not be doing this passage justice. If you don't see the fruit of the Spirit, if you don't see the fingerprints of the Spirit over the course of time in your life, there is a warning in verse 21. Paul says, I warn you, as I have done before. And I don't think he's just talking about Galatians. I think that he's talking about that time that he was looking them in the eyes and warning them. I warn you, as I have before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If we pretend like it's not so, if we try to sugarcoat the church, if we try to uh, boundary off the gospel and not say that, listen, if you are involved in fits of rage, if the, the, if the desires of your heart are giving birth to sin and sin is just giving a, like rampant and outrageous reign over your life, if you're giving way to all of those desires and there are no evidences of the Spirit in your life, you need to hear Paul's words you may not participate in the kingdom of God. That's a very serious warning. And, and, and so for those of us today that uh, maybe we've just never heard that before, need to take it seriously. For those of us who have wandered and just even over the course of decades, just not seen the work of God in our lives, producing the fruit of the Spirit, be warned. It's a sober warning. If you always give way to sin, if there is no fight in you, no march along with the footsteps of the Spirit, if there is a no awareness of the war, Paul warns you. But there's also a message of grace. There is grace. Notice in verse 24, I want you to look at it with me because the tense of these words is going to make a big difference. Verse 24 says that those who belong, is that, is that present tense? Is it past tense? Is it future tense? He's talking about something that is already real. For those who belong to Jesus, in the here and now, at the present moment, for those who belong to Jesus, they've crucified the flesh. Now that's very interesting, because in a war, people die. We've been talking about this battle. In a war, in a human war, people die. But in the spiritual battle, for the sake of your soul, it was not you that died, but Jesus who dies. He dies for you, once for all, to save sinners from death. For those who belong to Jesus, all of those sinful desires have been crucified in the flesh. And now the good news is, is that uh, you can actually participate with him in the mortification of those sins. He actually gives you the freedom to go about doing anything other than what your fleshly desires are, uh, are drawing you to do. Those, those desires that build into your wants, that de uh, develop into your will to do wrong, to do sin, 
He does away with those in Jesus Christ. And then he actually gives you the tools and the power of the Spirit to begin putting those things slowly but surely to death. Those without Jesus are without the Spirit, so be warned. But those who belong to Jesus also have the triumphant Spirit inside of them. Jesus, the innocent, was crucified that we might crucify our flesh. But Jesus was also raised in the Spirit so that we may march in step with him all the way to victory. Let's pray for that kind of victory this morning. God and Father, your word is powerful. It is true. We believe it. Father, for those of us who uh, stand here in front of your word under the examination of the light of your scriptures, we hear it and it examines us. And for all of us, it will find sin. There is no one who is without sin. All have fallen short of your glory. The question is whether or not all of that sin has been placed onto Jesus. Father, I pray that you would give the spirit this morning to the people of City Church, that there might be discernment to know whether or not they are to be warned this morning or to be elated and joyful in the power of the Spirit's work in them. Father, would you give assurance of faith to those who have it? Would they be able to look back and see the gifts of faithfulness? Would they see gentleness uh, arising out of not hard work of their own but out of the work of the Spirit in their lives, would they see those fingerprints that we have spoken of and would they be assured? Lord, for those of us who don't see that, don't see it clearly, would we ask our friends around us and where there is evidence, would you allow for this congregation to encourage one another? Not falsely, but give real evidences of true conversion. Lord, would we operate as a family to give assurance of faith? But Lord, in your great grace, We pray that for those who are not in saving faith, that they would somehow know it, that they would stand in front of your word this morning and that they would hear Paul's warning, that they would shudder and run, but that they would only flee to the foot of the cross. Father, I pray that you would make believers here this morning. We pray that you would use uh, this little tiny church in the midst of this very big city to help beckon people in through the door of Christ into life in the Spirit, into life eternal. Father, I pray it. Father, I pray that you would make these things a reality as only you can. Father, your great grace is before us. Let us feel it. Let us worship you because of it. Father, in the midst of all of this, we turn our attention to uh, the table which has the representations of Jesus' broken body and shed blood to remind us that we are justified at great cost. Lord, let us take it with assurance this morning, knowing all of us who take it, that we stand in the midst of your great grace. Lord, we pray uh, praise to you this morning. We ask you for a few things, and we ask for your blessing and worship in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.